everybody. This is Stephanie Rupert. Thank you for tuning in to episode four of the Meaning of Everything podcast, where we rethink and reinvent and gain a deeper understanding into the stuff that matters most. Now, today on episode four, we have uh, Brent Nombre, who is a brilliant scholar rethinking and seriously challenging the ways in which we think about religion. Now, I first encountered Brent's work when I was looking to understand what it means when we say that people are religious. It's a very complicated question. It might seem simple at first, but it's very complicated. We make certain assumptions when we ask about what religion is, when we ask about people's religious qualities. And the more and more I learned, the more and more I read books like Brent's and others, the more I came to realize that we completely misunderstand what's going on here. We completely misconstrue, um, miscategorize people and what we're doing. And essentially, through these works, I have learned to understand that religion, in a sense, doesn't really exist. Or it does exist, but what we have done and what Brent is teaching us and other people working in the sphere, there are others, is that we invented religion. It's a category. We have completely, shamelessly, made up this word and imposed it on ourselves. And now there are all these implications. We have infighting between religious groups. I put those in quotes, religious groups. We have uh, <clears throat> certain opinions about religious people and atheists and all of these certain things, but it's like a really false dichotomy. And so I'm very, very excited um, to have Brent on today because he is really going to be able to, I think, be really fascinating. He's gonna tell us a lot about how we invented the category of religion and, and what that means for today's world. Uh, so a little bit about Brent uh, before we get started. I want to uh, give you a little bit about his background. Brent Nongri is a specialist in the study of religion with a focus on ancient Christianity. He has taught at Yale University, Oberlin College, Macquarie University in Australia, and Aarhus University in Denmark. His work has been published in academic journals in a variety of fields, including early Judaism, biblical studies, and Greek, <laughs> Greek papyrology, as well as method and theory in the study of religion. With over a decade of archaeological experience working on Roman era sites in Italy and Israel, he is well-versed in the material culture of the ancient Mediterranean world. Raised in Texas, Nombri is a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin and earned his doctorate at Yale University. He is married to classical archaeologist Mary Jane Coulier. So before we bring Brent on, just a few things that I want to run over. Uh, you can read the show notes if we discuss any books that you might want to look up. They're at stephanieruper.com. Uh, and as ever, if you want to leave a review for the podcast, for which I would be eminently grateful, uh, you can just do that through iTunes. If you don't use iTunes, you can go to stephanieruper.com review. That will take you uh, right to the review page. And if you do this as a show of gratitude, I am giving away a free book every week. I enter you into a drawing. The list of books, if you're interested in knowing what books that I offer to give away for free, you can see on my website, stephanieruper.com slash book giveaway. And basically, it, they span a wide variety of fields, psychology, philosophy, history. Um, they're very accessible. They're moving. They're intelligent. They're books from my library, bookstores. I'm always giving away my books. My library is very small. Um, and so here I want to be able to do that with you the way I do with my friends. So, uh, yeah, drop a quick review if you want to be entered in and every week I'll do a drawing. The way you can be entered into the giveaway is to take a snapshot of your review and send it to this podcast's email account, which is tmoeverything at gmail.com. I chose the Gmail address because I hope it's kind of simple. TMO everything that stands for the meaning of everything at gmail.com. Um, and you can also please feel free to email that account about any questions you have about the guests. I will, of course, be doing uh, podcasts reflecting on what we have talked about with the guests, answering your questions, trying to maybe be a little bit more practical and apply what we learn from these guests to our lives. You know, what is the implication? How do we make sense of this? All of that sort of thing. So uh, please do feel free to do that. You can also, of course, ask those questions anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, uh, mostly. I am there and uh, eminently accessible to what you could want or need. So without further ado, here we'll bring on Brent. Okay, so welcome Brent. 
Thanks. Happy to be here. Hi. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Uh, all right. Yep. Just trying to keep warm as winter comes on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, I'm in the UK and it's, it's always gray and raining. So <laughs> always ready, always ready for the gray and rainy. Always. Yeah. I was in Denmark last year. And so yeah, around about this time of year, we started to get that eternal darkness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the eternal darkness. Um, Okay, lovely. I'm super, super excited. I talked a little bit about what you do, but it's, I think it's always better to you know, hear it from you. Uh, so if you could tell us a little bit about, uh, about what you're working on and, and why, you know, what, what is it about it that's compelling? I mean, what, what's important about it for the world? I think it's important for the world. I don't know <laughs> if you have an opinion, um, but what do you do? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a historian of uh, ancient Christianity. Um, that's what I, I started out working in that area. And um, I got kind of pulled out of it when I was uh, writing the book on religion more generally. Um, but now I've kind of swung back around and uh, I'm working on early Christian manuscripts now. Uh, so the earliest copies of... Uh, both the literature of the New Testament and then other documents that didn't make it into the New Testament. Um, but it's all, for me, it's all kind of tied together. When I was uh, doing my graduate work, um, I was really interested in the Apostle Paul and his letters. And that was actually what got me onto the topic of the usefulness of the concept of religion uh, in the study of Paul's letters, it's really, really common to hear scholars say to celebrate, Paul is Jewish. Paul is a Jew, he's mm -hmm. Jewish, and this is really important for interpreting his letters. But at the same time, there's a small cottage industry of scholars of Paul who do this exercise of comparing Paul with Judaism. So comparing the writings of Paul, a Jew, with this kind of abstract system uh, they call Judaism. Mm. And I found this really weird. And so that was the kind of genesis of my doctoral work. I wanted to read Paul outside of the concept of religion, just to try to read his letters in an actual ancient conceptual framework that we can uh, derive from ancient sources. Um, but my doctoral committee said, you can't just drop religion. You have to provide some kind of argument. And so the first half of my dissertation was the kind of nucleus of what became that book before religion. It was a sort of history of the concept. Um, and then when I finished up, uh, there was enough material there to kind of form its own narrative that held together reasonably well, I thought. And so that's uh, how I came to that. Uh, project. Hmm. Yeah, I, um, I I read a couple of your articles on on Paul. I find I find it's very interesting. I had the same exact. I had a very similar experience with my dissertation. When it's like you can't just because I wanted to do I wanted to study like humans. I wanted to study how we make sense of things, how we cope, like all of that sort of stuff. But I found the category of religion to be really confining, right? I, yep. And I wanted to break out of it, but still be in a religious studies department, right? Because where, where yeah. who's going to take me, you know, human <laughs> existential studies. Uh, so I ended up having to do a lot of work, which is how um, I ended up writing an article that deconstructs religion. I relied a lot on uh, Russell McCutcheon's work. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and then I found your book and the like and ended up having to you know, fold it into my, you know, the first whole first half of my dissertation. Because as it turns out, everybody, when you write a dissertation, you have to prove everything. Yeah. <laughs> you have to prove everything. Yeah. It's its own special genre of, of writing that. Uh... That you never, ever use again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you want to make everything absolutely bulletproof, you know, unassailable from anyone. So I remember yeah. in all these footnotes with specific readers in mind, and right. uh, you know, ah, I know she's going to you know, zero in on this, so I need to have a footnote saying I've read that, and it's all just 
yeah, it's, it's only useful in that context. Otherwise, it makes for just excruciating reading for everybody. It really does. You know, I did a word count recently, and I think like 15% of my dissertation is footnotes, you know? Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a small percent. Um, <laughs> not a, okay, so let's start really big. Uh, what is religion in your words? <laughs> <laughs> uh, depends who you ask. Um, yes. Yeah, this is uh, one of the main points I try to get across when I'm uh, teaching is the the importance of definition. Uh, always starting out with a with a definition, but um, yeah, one of the things that you run into immediately when you pose that question is uh, who's doing the asking and in what context and. Uh, you know, for some projects, you will want to just uh, come up with an answer that works for the, the situation that you're in and uh, move on from there. Uh, what happened for me was I got kind of stuck on that question, uh, but I wouldn't want to exactly put it that way because that sounds like a bad thing. Uh, but I think that there's a huge amount of potential for interesting studies in just looking at yeah, why, why do we want to know what religion is? Why do we want to pin down certain things as religious and other things as not religious? So, I mean, you can probably tell I've been hugely influenced by uh, Russell McCutcheon's work. I think he's, uh, for the last um, 20 years, been right there on the cutting edge of really pressing us to think hard about, uh, about these questions of definition. Um, in the book, I end up settling on uh, a more popular definition of religion just because it helps me get a handle on uh, both a lot of scholarship and also popular thought on just how people talk about religion, what they mean when they say religion. Uh, and it's this set of ideas that the religious sphere is this deeply personal sphere that's separated off from politics. It's something that's different from science. It's something that's different from law. It's uh, kind of what's left over after you've siphoned off all these other social spheres. And um, yeah, that's, that was my working definition, uh, which was highly criticized by lots of people because it's unscholarly and unscientific. But uh, in the context in which I was working, I think it, it did the work I needed it to do. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just, I think it's really important to bear in mind and nobody, this is never, this is not a part of our popular discourse, right? But like hundreds, thousands, hundreds, pretty much for all of human history, the concept of religion would have made no sense to anybody, right? And yeah. when we, so when we talk about religion today, we kind of, everybody vaguely knows what people are talking about, you know, oh, that like has to do with God or stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's some sort of supernatural thing, or you go to, you know, a place on Sundays and talk to people. Uh, and we have this idea, but we've created it, you know, and um, there's, there's like a philosophical concept everybody uh, like a natural type a natural type yeah. is something that exists like in nature like it's it's a category um, that you could say exists outside of our you know a desire to categorize or analyze things uh, but religion is not a natural type right it, it's not it's not a thing that you can point to that says oh here it, you know it's not like a squid squirrels <laughs> it's not like a yeah the species, it's, it's not, um, it's not any of these things. It's rather like a useful word we've come up with that works in our modern world. But, you know, I like to speak, speak hyperbolically. And, and so normally, uh, you know, if a group of friends is sitting around and they're talking and I'm like, hang on, who even says religion exists? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, what do you mean religion doesn't exist? I'm like, well, you know, yeah. kind, kind of a little bit. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about how this category got created or a lot tell us a lot about how the category of religion was created yeah uh i mean the in the material that i study that i'm most uh familiar with is ancient roman era uh, material and in the context of ancient roman uh culture and life there there was no real 
distinction between the things that we call religious and the things that we call not religious. Um, even though um, the Latin language gives us our term, uh, religio, that um, eventually became religion, uh, if you actually look at how that term is used in ancient literature, uh, it's not really doing the same kind of thing that the word religion does in, uh, in modern languages. So uh, in the ancient world, the gods were everywhere. Uh, they were involved in everything. Uh, if you declare war, you ask the gods. Um, if you um, want to dedicate a building, you ask the gods. Uh, whether it's a public building, private building, they're just everywhere. And so the idea that there would be a sphere where uh, there were no gods is just not, it's totally foreign to uh, the ancient world as we can reconstruct it through the evidence that survived. So when does this change? When do we get a thing um, called religion? Uh, this seems to happen at a much later period. It's really the, uh, the development of our modern system of nation states. Uh, the idea that we can have these geographically distinct areas with governments that uh, require a loyalty to uh, these legal codes that they're developing that is greater than a loyalty to uh, a deity. In the case of Europe, uh, this is the, um, the Christian God who sparked all sorts of um, disagreement in the periods that we call the wars of religion, the Reformation, uh, <clears throat> which was you know, a very bloody mess. Uh, and one of the ways that this mess was, was handled was uh, to try to isolate these arguments about God, uh, about how scripture should be interpreted. Uh, <clears throat> arguments that, that have no real rational resolution uh, because not all of the uh, points of contention are based on what we would call rationality. And so it was really uh, a quite clever solution that people like John Locke uh, developed to say, you know, we should isolate our beliefs about uh, God into this sphere that does not have anything to do with the governing of the state. Uh, and that seems to be the real development of this idea of religion as a kind of apolitical realm, a spiritual realm, something that's interior, uh, that takes all these beliefs about God, morality, and puts them on the inside of uh, people rather than in this kind of public domain. And of course, all of that is, it's a discourse. Um, the reality of it is always quite different because these little individual uh, cogitating people that uh, philosophers like Locke envisioned, you know, they have their personal beliefs, their uh, religious beliefs that are ideally outside the public sphere, but as people who participate in government, who uh, are themselves government officials or even people who vote, uh, they're always being informed by this, I, this kind of ideal realm that they've supposedly siphoned off from the public. So it's uh, even in, in modern practice, this idea of a separation of the secular and the religious is, is kind of a, it is just that an ideal rather mm -hmm. than uh, anything that's actually put into practice. Yeah. And it's also interesting. So this, this concept is, is developing and it has everything to do with politics, right? And, and the, there was the Protestant Reformation and the wars of religion, right? And people begin taking this religio, this idea of binding and, and defining themselves by the ways in which they variously interpret it. And then everybody fights and then, right, you need the, you need the state to sort of find a way, right? John Locke finds a way for people to like tolerate. And this is also where a discourse yeah. on tolerance comes from is, uh, really like developing difference. This was something that is actually reasonably new, you know, thousands of years old, where people decide that they're going to be like really different or have very different ideas about the world and how they work and still like want to live adjacent to each other, right? And so then, right, what you're saying is they have to take everything, take all of that 
deeply emotional difference and sort of keep it inside so you can walk down the street and, you know, not reignite the wars of religion, which was yeah. like, you know, definitely a thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's an interesting way of putting it. And it's, it resonates now because I've, I've been living outside the U.S. for uh, what about eight years and I've just um, come back and it's really interesting to try to um, navigate the country at the precise moment uh, where yes. um, people are, are so sharply divided and you just don't know what's going to set off uh, an uncomfortable discussion. And so there's mm -hmm. quite a bit of, um, yeah, negotiation of how uh, we interact and how we deal with these, you know, sharp, important differences, but that differences that, you know, if you're gonna get along with everyday life, you can't really get bogged down with. <clears throat> right, you can't. And I think that's a really big piece of why we need to be thinking about ourselves outside of this binary category of religion and not religion, because, mm -hmm. you know, in the States, yes, there's like a lot of disc, you know, there's a lot of tension and, and political stress between you know, the religious communities and the very fervently religious communities and um, others, but also like things that we would ordinarily attribute to religion, say like having a really fervent attachment to a particular belief system, mm -hmm. those things happen everywhere, right? And and the yeah. sides of any debate that say that they're being like very objective and rational and or, you know, whatever, like not um, acting in a quote unquote religious way do, you know? And then, yeah. and then you find that, um, whatever you know on both sides you people are they're name calling but they're name calling each other for kind of doing the same thing you yeah. know um and and that's i think that that's unfortunate that's a part of of why i think things are things are so tense as we're entrenching ourselves um to our attachments whether they're all quote unquote ultimate or not yeah yeah well i mean it's it the it's sort of the problem of you know, a lot of the, the talking heads seem to be using the term tribalism or <laughs> resorting yeah. to tribalism. Um, and it's, yeah, it, the thing that's useful about that, I think, is it's a reminder that all of this, uh, all of these discussions, no matter what ideals are being suggested, like these are all social things. Mm -hmm. uh, these are people trying to come to a, a, a consensus of some kind. And so this is, it's one of the frustrating things about scholarly discussions of religion, uh, particularly like religion and science, is that it's, you know, what is science? Uh, it's the same kind of question as what is religion. And mm -hmm. often the answer for that you see in the literature is, well, science is this set of methods and it's adherence to the, the methods. Um, you know, sure, but who determines the adherence, right? It's the community of, of scientists. And it's really a, a sort of social decision about what gets to count as science. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so you know, if I'm asked for a definition of science, I usually say, well, it's what people we call scientists say and do. And it's determined, you know, the borders of that community, the limits of what gets to count as science are you know, constantly um, you know, being worked out. And yeah, so it's a, you know, yeah, there's something about tribalism, uh, about, you know, who gets to count as, as we in any given situation. Um, and so, yeah, while I, I have, you know, obviously a great deal of uh, invested in modern science and technology and all these things, I sometimes get really frustrated at these debates because uh, the idea that, that the discourse of science is somehow above this fray, um, yeah, I, I don't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the discussion we're currently having now about the construction of the category of religion, the category, it, whenever we make categories as humans, there's going to be value judgments attached to them, right? And so, back in the day, back when this, this was all happening, 
being counted as a religion was a, a good thing, an important thing. Um, and you could be like included in the discourse on tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. And if, and so when we're building the category back then, uh, and so another thing that was happening at this time was the Europeans were out exploring and exploiting the rest of the world and they encounter these cultures that are so different from them. And it's like, okay, well, do they count as religious and do they count as not? And I thought you had so many wonderful examples in, in your book of like the bafflement, you know, and some people like were sincere, yeah. some people were not, you know, but really baffled trying to see like, okay, like do these people count? And then you take that discourse home and if, if you, if you fit, that's great. And this is again, what Russell McCutcheon is always saying. If you fit, that's great. If you don't like, we're either going to convert you or we're going to fight you. Um, and, and over time that has changed. Right. And now in our culture, it's like, mm, people are a little bit less attached to wanting to be called a religion, but we do the same thing, right? Like, is this science? Is this not science? Mm -hmm. And in constantly, like, I think we need to understand that based on our positionality, we're always going to be assigning those kinds of value judgments to the categories we make. And again, this is why I think the category of religion is just incredibly problematic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky because that it's kind of, it's kind of what we do as humans to just get along in the world, right? Mm -hmm. We have to classify, we have to um, make decisions about these things, but I guess it's, yeah, it's just good to be aware that we're doing that, I think, because that the trouble is when we slip into this idea that all of these things are just natural, um, which I think is harder now uh, in the modern world, precisely because of the things that you're talking about, like that, that colonial period when these encounters started happening, um, all of a sudden you're confronted with difference, sometimes really radical difference in ways of life. And you have to figure out how to talk about that, uh, especially if you're going to continue to encounter these people with a really different way of living. And in the current world, there's no escape. I mean, we're all so connected in so many ways that we're constantly being confronted by people who live in really different ways. And uh, it's, yeah, it's really hard to, uh, to deal with. And it's always important, I think, to remember that uh, none of these, these concepts are, are natural, that those are also open for revision or rejection. If, uh, if we find that they're just no longer helpful in us getting on with, with life. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking um, there was this uh, one example in, in your book uh, of explorers encountering a, a tribe in Southern Africa, the Hottentots. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's saying like, well, I think they're maybe Jewish. Well, yeah. you know, because they circumcise, maybe they're Jewish, but they're definitely not Jewish. Um, but maybe they're Jewish, right? Like, how do we make people fit? And when you don't fit, you know, and this is, again, this is something that's really popular in our discourse right now is talking about like liminal cultures. And now mm -hmm. we want to be, now a large swath, swaths of our culture want to be inclusive to liminal cultures, to people who, you know, don't fit into neat categories. Um, but there's also a lot of, a lot of resistance to that, you know, to, um, to wanting to, break down the categories or embrace more categories, right? Like identity politics is all about categories. Yeah. You know, we fit into these categories. We identify here. And, and, and what does that mean? You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's trouble. It's, it's troublesome because if you want to even, if you want to even poke at the idea of categories altogether, then you uh, brush up against the possibility of deconstructing these kinds of things. But like our whole society, the right and the left both, are, are very much like built on this idea of making categories. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's, uh, that there's any escape from that. No. Um, but it's just the, this, this idea that we could be a little bit more self-aware that that's, that's what we're, we're doing. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that would be helpful in a lot of ways, uh, beyond just, um, the sort of academic, study of religion yeah so um so let's bring this back a little bit to what you do what um with your focus uh this has relevance for how we look back in history right so how does this sort of influence the way that you think about religions in in ancient history you know how does this influence 
how we view, you know, we idealize the, the Greek and Roman cultures and the like, how does the category of religion impact that? Uh, in my own work, I try to, uh, to avoid um, invoking uh, the idea of, of ancient religions right. at all. Um, and, and for me, it's more of, of an exercise. I try not to be dogmatic about this and, um, you know, dismissive of other people who are talking about ancient religions and trying to still uh, find ways to use the concept. I think it's, I think there's potentially some interesting things that, that one can do there. But uh, for my own part, I prefer to just conduct this exercise of, okay, how can I, if I don't allow myself to use, to invoke the concept of religion, how can I talk about uh, this, this ancient evidence? Mm. Um, what other frameworks that I derive from uh, the surviving ancient record, uh, can I use those to interpret this evidence? And so uh, for me, for the work I was doing with uh, the letters of Paul, um, ancient notions of ethnicity were really helpful um, because in my experience in modern discourses, ethnicity uh, was, or at least I always understood it to be a, a sort of fixed thing. Um, you either are or you are not from a, a given ethnic group. Uh, and the ancient evidence was so much different. Uh, they would talk about changing ethnicities. It was just something that you were mm. able to do. Uh, and it was in some ways frowned upon, but it was uh, sometimes celebrated, but nobody doubted that you could change ethnicities. And so that helped me understand what was going on in, or gave me a framework for reading Paul's letters. All of his talk about uh, transformation, inner transformation, all of these things made sense in terms of shifting ethnic allegiances. Uh, so yeah, for me, um, as a historian, that's one way uh, this critique of the concept of religion has um, changed what I do. Uh, I've also, when the book came out, um, there were a couple reviews that um, suggested that I didn't go far enough in taking all of these things apart. And um, they really took a very strong um, constructivist approach to all of history. So it's sort of Hayden White um, kind of thing that all of history is a narrative and the idea that we could develop um, a vocabulary for talking about the past that more precisely matches what ancient people themselves did was a, a kind of mirage. Um, you know, all we're doing is writing narratives. That's, you know, history is, is made up of narratives, of written stories, and historians have rules for doing this, but uh, what we're producing are entirely the results of our own interests. We go to particular points in the preserved historical record because we have a set of contemporary interests. And so the narratives that we thus produce really tell us more about ourselves than uh, the ancient world. And honestly, I haven't really generated a good response for that. It's something I, I wrestle with uh, when I try to think about anything about antiquity or the pre-modern world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting that my work has now gravitated towards um, ancient manuscripts and these sort of physical objects uh, where, you know, there's still a load of conceptual questions, but um, yeah, it's kind of allowed me to avoid coming to terms with these really quite uh, challenging questions of historiography. Mm. Okay, so there are some scholars, some people who think that we should stop using the word religion. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I don't think there's any really good arguments for that. Um, it's, it's all a matter of uh, what you're trying to accomplish in your, in your work. Um, all of our words, all of our concepts have baggage. Uh, that's just... It, language is social, and so all of these concepts 
have histories and can be uh, picked apart in the same way that people have picked apart religion. And so in certain contexts, um, yeah, I don't think religion is the most helpful term, but the, the calls to uh, simply stop talking about it, I don't think they really work, especially for contemporary society, because there are people who think of religion as a real thing that's out there in the world that identify themselves by means of membership in a religion, uh, who carve up the world into things that are religious and aren't religious. Um, so just to stop using it strikes me as not super helpful uh, mm -hmm. to stop using it, period. But in a given, you know, it's, I think for, for academics, it's, a, it's all about the strategic use that you want to make of these concepts. Uh, you know, what, what kinds of things are you trying to, to highlight? What kinds of comparisons are you trying to make? What kinds of differences are you trying to uh, throw into relief? And, you know, all of our words have these histories. So as long as we kind of define our terms so that we can have uh, an intelligible discussion, I think that pretty much any, uh, any of these words can be useful in a given context. Yeah, I, um, you know, I agree with you. Like the word, the word itself is not, this, this ain't going anywhere, you know, um, yeah. we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be able to cut it out. But in terms of um, what we're, you know, it can, it can be useful sometimes here and, and sometimes, uh, sometimes, sometimes harmful, you know, and, and you were saying earlier that the awareness of, of how we're using it and what, what we're doing with it is, is kind of, kind of the most important thing, right? Just being intentional about it or aware yeah. or, or what have you. Yeah. And just not, not assuming the taken for grantedness, the naturalness of it, mm -hmm. not, yeah, being, I think you used the word confining or constraining earlier, like not letting it uh, dictate or, uh, yeah, constrain our ways of looking at things. I think that's the, the key point I take away from all this is that it's not, you know, I was having a tough time understanding what was going on in the letters of Paul. And I think it was because I had a unduly rigid notion of religions, of Judaism, of Christianity, and the framework wasn't helpful for me. And so getting rid of it, trying to develop another framework, uh, helped me make sense of uh, these letters. And so in that particular context, um, ditching religion was helpful. Um, but that's not every context, so. Right, yeah, I, um, the, what, what I end up doing is I, um, I call, uh, I construct an idea of salvation, mm -hmm. and I use that, and, and I sort of, I tie it to religion. I say, well, it, it is associated with the things that we have traditionally called religious, <laughs> and ergo, I can stay in the field of religious studies, but really, what I really want to get at is, what is it about humans that we are you know, doing, making things like what we now know as religion or, or making our political institutions look a certain way. Like why, why do we do what we do? How do we make sense of things? I call it salvation. You know, I had to, I had to build a new, I had to build a new category again, like, you know, needing categories, but, yeah. um, but, but I have found it, I found it to be enormously um, useful. And, and I wonder a lot, like where, what would we, what would it be like if we hadn't, come from this history, right, with the, the wars of religion and John Locke and the exploration and people in, in Europe being like, oh, how do we make sense of this? It's called re religion. Um, if we hadn't come from that history and, and the academy is very much implicated in it, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. one and the same. What would we do now, you know, if we're just like sitting here now and starting with a clean slate? You know, how, how would we, how would we study people? You know, would we end up creating a category that looks similar to what happened throughout history? And I know that the way that like religions look today, uh, Christianity and, you know, the Eastern religions and everywhere was, it was sort of shaped by this history. And so there's, there's two questions there. Like a would, how much did that category 
create what now looks like religion today? And then, you know, if we haven't had that, what, what would it, you know, what would it look like? How would we be talking about it? I find that to be completely fascinating and liberating, you know, in, in how we think about who we are and how we relate to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting, uh, thought experiment, thought experiment. Yeah. (laughs) Because it is, there has, I mean, that's one of the, one of the interesting developments out of this, uh, this kind of ongoing questioning is, yeah, what, what has the category of religion done in terms of shaping uh, actual communities, bringing into existence um, different groups? And there's you know, the, the intensity of the, the debates around things like Hinduism uh, is really um, pretty remarkable that uh, you know, the some scholars claiming that the whole idea of um, Hinduism as a kind of abstract system that is uh, the religion of large portions of uh, India was alarming to a number of both Indian and non-Indian scholars who wanted to assert the sort of indigenous um, long history of Hinduism uh, that predated the colonial period. And uh, yeah, these, these kind of intense debates about who has the, the right to speak for or about um, these groups that uh, if they weren't created through the use of the concept of religion, they were at least uh, shaped by the colonial interaction in a really Mm -hmm. crucial way. Yeah. It's to try to imagine. uh, Yeah. How, how encounters would happen. It's fascinating. I mean, because like missionaries would go into territories and ask people like, what's your religion? Yeah. And I'd be like, we don't, you know, what do we, you know, we're just, we're living our lives here, you know, and, uh, and then it pushed people, pushed cultures to like produce explications to, to, you know, defend, to defend their faith or their religion or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I don't have a word for it, you know, and then ended up like creating their own religions because missionaries told them to just you know bizarre and then so that the missionaries could then like use them and turn them into turn them into christians um yeah no it's it was really like some of the uh some of the anecdotes that ended up in in the book were uh just incredible for that exact dynamic the uh the parsis in uh in india um on the the west coast of india that they uh were these European scholars were just scornful about their lack of knowledge of what they regarded as uh, the the local native sacred texts. And yeah, this prompted what otherwise would not have been done a sort of a a group of native people developing uh, a sort of catechism in response to the stimulus coming from uh, Europeans who had a particular idea of what, you know, how sacred texts ought to function in a community. And yeah, you know, what would, I mean, it's, it's a difficult question that I think anthropologists deal with all the time is you know, how do we, how do we talk about a group that we identify as, as different? Um, what's the best way of um, trying to get to know in a sort of academic way, what this group is about. Uh, And anthropologists, I think, are are completely unsettled on this question. Um, You know, to what degree is just this idea of uh, the scholar as an outsider coming in? And is there any way to have knowledge of a group without having some kind of domination over the group? to what degree do you need to be a participant in the group? Uh, classic sort of insider outsider problem uh, that I don't think, you know, 
anyone's figured out a really great answer for that. No, I'm glad that we know the problem exists. I think that was like the big postmodern revelation, you know, yeah. this problem exists. Um, but yeah, so, so far as to what to, what to do about it, I don't know. It's, I'm very interested in my own uh, relationship with these ideas because when I first started studying things, I was very frustrated and bored by methodology, right? Like yep. there were, so, I was like, why are there so many books about how to study religion? <laughs> this is so boring. Like I just want to study it. And the yep. same thing goes for anthropology. And now I find that these are actually for me where the most interesting questions are um, because they have to do with like really basic ideas of like, how do we encounter one another? Yeah. How do we make sense of one another? Uh, and, I, and I understand, and forgive us, anybody in the audience who is also terribly bored by methodologies. <laughs> like, I, I get it, but also, um, yeah, this, this is where we, like, become better thinkers. You know, this is where we, like, actually make sense of things. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it can... It can be numbing, <laughs> paralyzing uh, at times to, yeah. to have to, to think through all these problems. But it really, um, for me, and I think for uh, a lot of other scholars, I mean, it's important that we recognize that this is a legitimate direction for the, the field to be um, moving in. Like, I think a lot of... Uh, a lot of people who do sort of use the concept of religion or any of these other um, concepts like society, culture, et cetera, uh, they, they make a definition, especially like sociologists do this uh, in a really um, efficient way. You know, take a definition, do your study that's quantifiable in some way uh, and just kind of get on with it. Um, right. And yeah, I, I, this is another reason I really like McCutcheon's work. The idea that we should just, you know, he really problematizes the idea that you should just get on with it. Like, wait a second. No, maybe the really interesting question is why, why do we <laughs> want to know this particular thing? Um, and shouldn't we focus on how we're uh, using these concepts? And that to me, yeah, he calls it, I think the, uh, the study of the discursive study of religion or something like that. The study of religion in scare quotes. Right. The study of religion in, in religion of religion, <laughs> the study yeah. of the religion of religion. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating question. He's always saying we should be studying us. <laughs> yeah. Like why, why are we making this, why, you know, why are we making this category? Why have we shaped it this way over time? Um, and again, it's, it's an equally interesting question. It's just dressed up in a way that's less flashy than, you know, what you might otherwise find in an intro religion 101 course where they teach yeah. you that religio means faith and, you know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't, but you get yeah. to like, <laughs> No, I mean, it's super, it's super frustrating sometimes to, um, to, to try to even, uh, explain you know to especially with uh with students to, to you know the, to try to explain these problems and try to show how interesting the problems are like i've one of the assignments i've used in the past is to just go to the page for religion in wikipedia mm -hmm. um and it's changed a lot over the years uh but it's still a sort of like rolling mess of all these different ideas that are trying to be put together. Um, and it's, it's a, just an interesting thing to follow. Like, I don't, you know, you could write a dissertation on the history of the religion Wikipedia page because it's, it's just, it's transformed, but there's still all of these weird competing voices. It doesn't quite hang together. Um, and it, yeah, it's a great way of sort of starting the discussion of, uh, to bring it back to the beginning, you know, what are we even talking about? Um, and how can we have a discussion about the things, you know, when people come to Religion 101, they have a set of things that they think they're going to learn that they're interested in. It's what brought them there. Um, 
but you know, how do we from the outset shift that interest to, okay, you know, what are we even talking about? And uh, you know, before I fill up your head with all of the tenets of Buddhism, let's <laughs> kind of pick apart uh, why we're even interested in these things. Right. It's not to say that the tenets of Buddhism should be d discarded as something that, you know, anybody should be engaging, but rather that when you do both, you come to a much richer understanding of humans and history and current affairs, you know. Yeah, and the world sure, works. sure. I mean, it's the, the tricky thing is, you know, there's only so many hours in a course. Uh, there's so much time students have to read, so much uh, FaceTime with each other and with the instructor. And so you trying to figure out like, okay, what's, yeah, what's the best use of time here? Um, and so it's, yeah, it's tricky. One of the things I was hoping with that, uh, with my book uh, was that it could be used together with a, like traditional world religions textbook. Mm. So, I mean, a lot of curricula are fixed, um, especially at the introductory level. There's not a lot of choice. Um, uh, so if there's a way to kind of supplement the standard world religions narrative with something that can kind of just you know raise some flags raise some questions here and there um and i know a couple of people who've used the book that way and and found that it um was helpful for generating discussion so uh yeah that that's that's gratifying um yes and uh i definitely I, I hope that people do some more and that is why this is a nice point to end on that is why things like this uh, podcast exist because uh, we <laughs> can subtly send it to all of our intro, you know, intro to religion courses and the like. Um, we're mostly out of time, uh, unless you have anything pressing you'd like to say. Uh, no, thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, so Brent's book, the one we've been talking about is called Before Religion. Uh, I will uh, link to it in the show notes. Also, if you're on academia.edu, uh, you can find a list of Brent's papers, and uh, it's prolific, and there are PDFs you can download, because normally in academia.edu, you can't, but Brent has made it such that you can. So um, he's a very accessible scholar and brilliant, and especially if you're interested in uh, Paul uh, and <laughs> in ancient manuscripts, I would definitely um, check it out. So for more from him, uh, academia.edu, do you have any social media profiles you like people to follow or anything? No, I'm afraid not. Uh, no, no, but okay. yeah, if if you uh, yeah if you go to academia.edu, there's several um, papers and things that are uh, they have copyright restrictions and things like that. But uh, you can just email me, and uh, I will be happy to supply those things. Yes, and before religion is brilliant, so read it. Um, and as ever, I'm Stephanie Ruper. You can find me at stephanieruper.com. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns about this podcast, uh, TMO everything at gmail.com and the Facebook and the Insta and all of the like. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in and I will catch you next time. Take care.